Two Chocolate Cakes is a story of two cakes, bookended at the beginning of one life and at the end of another, and all the culinary and emotional layers in between those moments. grilled cheese sandwich. There was a time between the high school babysitting summers at the beach with a charge account at the snack bar of the country club and those dirty and arduous summers as a landscaper on Fisher's Island with my father when for three summers I worked at the most remarkable summer resort just 20 minutes from my home. The resort was an idyllic place, a 50s-style Catskillsy resort set among the hills and gentle, narrow waterways of the Connecticut River Valley. When my parents took me to the resort as a small child, I found it to be so glamorous. The ballroom with the mirror ball suspended with invisible wire from the ceiling, three swimming pools, and a go-kart track. But even as a teenager, I knew it wasn't glamour that kept that place going, but kitsch. I would later recognize it in the film Dirty Dancing, just set in Connecticut instead of New York State, with Polish and Italian families from Hartford instead of Jewish families from New York. The Jamesons, who owned this place, had been good friends of my parents back in the drinking days. My mother had been a waitress at the first restaurant the Jamesons owned, and my father worked as a bartender back when Kay was just a toddler. Bob Jameson and my father kept company at the same bar for years until Dad disappeared for those 28 days and returned sober. Bob Jameson figured he owed my parents something, and he hired me the same day I arrived to fill out an application. I was too skinny to be a lifeguard and not strong enough to be a waitress, and, he decided, too daft to be taken very seriously. So I was given the position of Roving office girl, which meant I filled in for people who were out of the office, and when no one was out, I picked up cigarette butts, tennis and golf balls, and I skimmed the swimming pools. Bob Jameson's wife, Laura, said I made her nervous when I worked in the office or the gift shop, so she often cut me loose to roam the grounds as the resort's little ambassador. I could go anywhere I wanted, but I couldn't hide from Bob Jameson on his motorcycle. He always found me and sent me back to the office to man the cash register at the gift shop or to spell the short order cook at the snack bar. The office was populated by the office girls, and by the second summer, I was one of the chosen. Donna and Virginia were the leaders of the employee pack. They were the Jameson's favorites. They both received scholarships from the resort to attend Cornell University. Two years older than me, they were the glamorous girls of the resort, and everyone wanted to be their friend. They dated the handsome lifeguard Brad and the most successful waiters. They were invited to all the parties and even threw a few themselves. They always bought the drinks when we went out after work. They took me under their wing and bought me some nice clothes and some makeup and made me trade my tattered tennis shoes in for some strappy sandals that click, clack, click, clack, click like tap shoes on the tile floor and around the pool. I went everywhere with Donna and Virginia and Donna's younger sister, Mona, who was a bit of a fixer-upper like me. They arranged for me to date their cast-off boyfriends, but I never made much of an impression on them. Tall and thin with gigantic glasses, I was the exact opposite of Donna and Virginia, who were buxom and petite with 
cute feet and knew all the right ways to cock their heads and giggle at some boy's not really very funny joke. Donna and Virginia were the Jameson's right hands in the office. They handled all the money coming in, scheduled all the workers, and generally ran the resort whenever the Jamesons left the building. Mrs. Jameson left office as she was prone to attacks of the nerves, especially when I was around. She said I asked too many questions and I talked way too much, which, to be honest, was true. Bob Jameson liked to ride around on his motorcycle. His enormous belly flopped over the tank of his beleaguered bike as he mingled like an old curmudgeon with the guests and barked out orders to the staff. But by my third summer, I was firmly established as one of the office girls. My glasses were gone, replaced by tinted contact lenses, and I let Virginia highlight my hair with bleach. Donna showed me how to put on longer, bright red fingernail tips, which I always lost a few by the end of the weekend, and I carried a tinting lip gloss in the pocket of my shorts every day. With a decent push-up bra, I had male admirers myself and even dated, but not too seriously, because office girls did not tie themselves down to one guy, and I followed their example. The Jamesons still called me Little Jennifer, but I had become one of their favorites, because even though I ran around with that fast crowd, I was still an innocent in their eyes. I was promoted out of the office, and that was Laura Jameson's idea, to be the head child counselor sports information director, which meant that I ran the wading pool in the babysitting yard and gave out colored balls for the miniature golf course, and I was the voice of the weekly volleyball tournaments that happened on the resort's PA system. But I still had my office girl duties periodically. Bob Jameson didn't trust just anyone to cook his lunch. He was busy growing an ulcer that third summer. Early August, he had begun to notice that money was missing from the drawers. It didn't seem to be anything serious because the books all added up in the end, but it troubled him, and he fired the white night watchman and hired one of the bodyguards, Virginia's bodyguard, to stay on the resort at night in a little room off the office. Brad had a cocaine habit, he confided in me while I filled in as a short order cook in the snack bar, but the Jamesons figured that if he was okay for Virginia, then they could trust him. Bob Jameson's favorite lunch was a grilled cheese and tomato sandwich on white bread, French fries, and a large Diet Coke. Every afternoon after the rush, he would send me over so that Louis, the head cook, could go down to the main dining room by the river to do his ordering and smoke a pack of cigarettes. I rarely had any customers except for the Jamesons. Laura never ate. She only drank black coffee and the occasional office or employee on break. Outwardly, I complained about working over there. Donna and Virginia said it was beneath the status of an office girl, but I secretly loved slipping on the crisp apron from the laundry service and brandishing the long-handled, long-bladed, shiny spatula. I loved cleaning the grill with seltzer so that when Louis came back from his ordering and smoke break, the line would be cleaner than how he left it. And I loved the sound the frozen fries made when you dipped the basket into the hot oil. My grilled cheese sandwiches became famous on the resort, probably because of the innovative way I chopped up the tomato and then surrounded it with the melting cheese, so it was more like a cheese and tomato envelope than anything else. The day after the office was broken into and the physical accounting books were stolen, Bob came out to where I was working in the miniature golf shack to ask me if I knew anything about it. I pulled a can of Diet Coke out of the mini fridge I kept there and I handed it to him. I told him the truth, and I said I knew nothing, that I was shocked as he was, and he sat with me for a good 20 minutes, neither of us saying anything. 
I didn't know what to say. So we watched the guest play miniature golf on the shabby course, and then he sighed, his bulk settling on the sagging motorcycle seat. He said he didn't know what he was going to do, and then he drove away, his can of Coke left unopened on the window of my sports shack. That night at a party, Virginia passed out and was taken to the hospital with some undisclosed illness. With Virginia out of the office for a couple of days, the Johnsons had to run the office without her. Donna was out too. The rumor was she left for Cornell a week early. Virginia followed as soon as she was released from the hospital. The truth began to surface. Brad, the lifeguard turned night watchman, was fired and then charged with breaking and entering. Virginia's father, a local lawyer, had been negotiating with the resort to make restitution. That was the chatter among the staff. We were never told anything. A team of accountants arrived on a Monday when the resort was quiet and the snack bar was closed as they poured over the receipts and checks and bills on tables pushed together as makeshift desks. I was sent over to make grilled cheese sandwiches all around, but the accountants were quiet while I was there. I could hear them resume their murmurs and tapping of calculators after the door to the snack bar swung behind me as I headed back to the office. The perfect grilled cheese sandwich recipe. Two pieces of white bread lightly buttered. Three slices of American cheese. Three slices of chopped up tomato. Clean the grill with a glass of seltzer. Scrape all the junk from sandwiches and hamburgers before into the grease trap using the metal spatula. Place the bread on a hot greased grill, butter side down. Put a slice of cheese on each side. Top one slice with tomato and then put a third slice of cheese on top of the tomato. Put the sides together, flip once or twice until golden brown. Serve when the cheese begins to melt down the sides of the bread. Cut in half on the diagonal with the spatula. Serve with the smile while smoothing out your apron. Thank you for listening. For more information about the recipes you've heard here, including author notes, photos, secret tips, and more, please visit twochocolatecakes.com. That's two, the word two, chocolatecakes.com. 